Coming up on We Talk News this week, safe banking and all federal cannabis reform initiatives are stalled because of the paralyzation in the U.S. House of Representatives. Meanwhile, former DEA chiefs warn about the potential of rescheduling cannabis and an exclusive interview with the Oregon advocates who are key in the merger of two major state cannabis business associations. And the FBI releases a report on cannabis possession arrests in 2022. Over a quarter million cannabis arrests were made last year, with 90% of those on possession charges. And two more sentences for cannabis bribery were handed down in Michigan with jail time for all the participants. And St. Vincent and the Grenadines have opened cannabis social clubs in the Caribbean, and you might want to think about an escape there anytime soon. Meanwhile, coast-to-coast cannabis coverage on We Talk News with Elena Pinto, next. We are pro-cannabis media. everyone, welcome to Weed Talk News, pro-cannabis media's weekly roundup of cannabis news from around the world. I'm Elena Pinto. And once again, we will start in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where it's not politics as usual down there. And the reason the Republican Party can't find a leader for House Speaker. So what does that do for federal cannabis reform movement? It stops it. Of course, just trying to keep the entire government from shutting down is a bit of a bigger priority than cannabis reform, but with the U.S. Senate showing more interest than ever before, even if they could pass the safer banking bill, the House probably will reject it. Our man in D.C. is Andrew Beringer. Here he is. Reporting from Washington, D.C., this is Andrew Beringer. Now, nearly a quarter of a million people were arrested for cannabis violations in the United States last year, according to new FBI data. Of the approximately 227,000 cannabis-related arrests in 2022, a staggering 92% were for simple possession. This represents a slight uptick from 2021 when 2,219,000 cannabis arrests were reported nationwide. However, the true number is likely higher due to ongoing underreporting issues. In 2022, only 83% of the law enforcement agencies submitted arrest data to the FBI compared to just 63% the previous year. This gap makes it unclear whether the increase reflects more pot arrests or simply more reporting, and it obscures the full scope of how many Americans face charges for cannabis annually. Here's what we know. Cannabis arrests accounted for a full 30% of all reported drug violations last year, even as two-thirds of the states have legalized medical or adult use. And while totals have fallen from their peak of over 870,000 cannabis arrests back in 2007, advocates argue this level of criminalization is still unacceptable given shifting attitudes on cannabis. In a statement, the National Organization for the Reform of marijuana laws, normal, called it inconceivable that the idea era of legalization, accurate data on the costs and impacts of prohibition remains so murky. Unclear statistics impede efforts to evaluate the harms of our nation's approach to cannabis. 
Lawmakers, officials, and voters may be rethinking old policies, but hundreds of thousands still felt the effects of criminalization last year. And it continues. As views of cannabis evolve, many argue it's past time we understand the true toll of it, this ban status and relook at potentially rescheduling or descheduling. Once again, my name is Andrew Berenger from Weed Talk News and the DC Area Report. There's more research being shared from the cannabis market, and Headset is sharing some interesting trends amongst consumers. Flower is and always will be king as a means of ingestion for many, but now it's the pre-rolled joint that is gaining in popularity. According to Headset, flower and disposable vape pens are one to two in sales, but pre-rolls are strong third and showing the most growth. Headset reported that pre-rolls accounted for 13.5% of total cannabis sales in the legal states of Arizona, California, Colorado, Illinois, Maryland, Nevada, Washington State, and Oregon. It's that last state where there is major news coming out this week with the merger of two business associations. The Oregon Cannabis Association and the Cannabis Industry Alliance of Oregon voted unanimously to merge into one powerful group of businesses and lobbyists. And with more from that state, here's Marianne Kursaji. I'm Marianne from Alibi with this week's Oregon Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Attorney Vince Lewowski published an article this week stating that Oregon licensees can now collateralize their licenses. Attorneys have successfully argued this point. This opens up new options for real estate and private debt. Next, as mentioned last week, ASTM International is updating and creating standards for cannabis cultivation and manufacturing. Oregon's industry is participating and voting on these standards. Anyone who is interested in shaping the future of cannabis standards is welcome to participate. Check out ASTMCannabis.org. And finally, exciting news from Oregon this week. Two cannabis trade associations, the Oregon Cannabis Association and the Cannabis Industry Alliance of Oregon, have agreed to merge. This merger creates a powerhouse of talent and experience focused on driving the cannabis industry forward in Oregon. Mike Getlin, board chair, says it is now more important than ever to speak with one unified voice and to work as one unified body with regulators and legislators to try and figure out a way to carve out a better future for our businesses. That'll do it for the Oregon Report this week. I'm Marianne with Alibi for Weed Talk News. Earlier this week, PCM founder Jimmy Young joined Marianne and two major players in the Oregon business community, and they talked about the significance of this merger. Here they are. How how big a deal is this? I think it's to- it's really huge for a couple reasons. First of all, the um, it, the market is really really tough in terms of people making money. So if we're going to be spending money supporting organizations, doing lobbying. Um, connecting with other people, other licensees, that is all after, you know, we have to pay taxes on that money. So being able to consolidate our dues and then pay just one organization that will immediately increase the amount of funds that we have available so that we can be more influential. 
And then the second reason is just that we need to work together. And as this latest conversation with Aspergillus has proved, we need to actually be talking to each other and come up with strategy so that we can be stronger together and move the industry forward. Mary Ann's telling me is, you know, a very historic deal in, in Oregon that these two associations have come together. Um, explain how it all came out, because you were right in the middle of it, weren't you? Uh, yeah, that, I, I'm definitely right in the middle of it. it, it the thing you got to understand is a small community, right? We all know each other. We all we all work together on these issues, and we worked uh, together on public policy with the with the OCA folks for many many years. So, you know, I think what it was is that, you know, there's a combination of both internal and external factors that made now the correct time for this merger to take place, and those internal factors were. Uh, just just the process of building trust between the boards of both of these organizations had matured. Um, and that's not something that happens overnight. The entirety of that interview will be released next week as a special In the Weeds with Jimmy Young podcast. Next up is Washington State, where cannabis sales are soaring thanks to the fact that neighboring Idaho has one of the most strict cannabis laws in the country. The success of border town dispensaries is hard to ignore in any state in the U.S. And here's Matthew Friedlander with more. Hello, everyone. Matthew Friedlander coming to you from the owner's office here at Skagit Organics with the Washington State Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. So you may have noticed last week I did my report from Michigan. I was out there at the MJ Unpacked event. It was great to see what a recreational market looks like in a different state compared to what we have going on here in Washington. Today, I'm gonna to talk about what our state with a recreational market looks like compared to Idaho, our neighbors to the east. They do not have a recreational cannabis market. I believe they don't even legally allow CBD products, but that is a different conversation for a different time. Uh, the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board recently released data showing how much money was spent here in Washington in the fiscal year 2023, we spent $1.26 billion on cannabis here in Washington. And when I say we, I am including all the people driving over from Idaho to our border stores in Eastern Washington and buying their cannabis there. This led to an excise tax of $466 million here in Washington. That is tax money being collected in our state from Idaho residents that could be collected in Idaho to help them improve their communities and help all of their programs in Idaho. Instead, we are benefiting from that. Now, Washington does still have one of the highest excise tax rates in the country at 37.5%. So while the tax revenue is great for the programs that we, that we need to fund here in Washington. Not great if you're a consumer, unfortunately. Uh, you, about a third of the price that you're paying at the store is just going right to the state. Luckily, uh, some of that's gonna be fixed, hopefully during this legislative session coming up uh, starting January, 2023. But we will talk more about that in coming weeks. Uh, that's what I've got for you today. My name is Matthew, coming to you with the Washington State Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Another one of those success stories in the early stages of cannabis reform is Arizona. That market is 
booming. And Karen Black has a checklist of all of those sales figures in her Arizona Cannabis Report. I'm Karen Black from Greenfinger Consulting with the Arizona Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Put your math hats on because I've got a lot of figures to share about the Arizona cannabis market. First, adult use sales continue to smoke medical sales. Year to date through July, adult use racked up over $621 million, more than triple the approximately $207 million from medical sales. Second, Arizona ranks number 10 for the lowest cost medical marijuana, according to Leafwell, with the gram costing $11.73 on average. Third, despite the low prices, medical sales for July were the lowest they've been since recreational sales began, a downward trend that started in February of 2022 that many consider alarming. Fourth, the state collected $208 million in excise taxes the first seven months of this year. And fifth, both adult use and medical sales have declined substantially since March, although sales are still forecast to come close to last year's total of $1.4 billion. Some of the figures are a little surprising, at least to me, so it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the year pans out, especially since everything picks up this time of year as the temperatures go down. There continues to be a lot of moving and shaking going on around here. Three major developments of note. Jacob Cohen abruptly resigned from his position as president of Arizona operations of Your Way Cannabis Brands. Mr. Cohen will retain his seat on the company's board of directors. On the heels of its recent acquisitions in Ohio, Phoenix-based Beck Sciences announced it is selling its cultivation facility in Prescott Valley, Arizona, to Elevate Cannabis Co. from Missouri for $6.5 million. The recent entrant into Arizona market is expected to pay cash for the grow upon closing November 1st. And lastly, Arizona's Forefront Ventures Corp. obtained a $10 million loan, which it plans to spend on expanding its retail operations in Illinois. That's all for this week's Arizona Cannabis Report. I'm Karen Black from Greenfinger Consulting reporting for Wheat Talk News. It was just a few months ago that Minnesota became the 23rd state in the U.S. to legalize the adult sale of cannabis. Recently, that state launched its first business association called the Minnesota Marijuana Association. Now, that group is reaching out to other states for funding the future growth inside the Minnesota market. One group Minnesota investors are now backing is a firm called HWY35 from Missouri. That company received $15 million to set up grows in the northeast corner of Minnesota, an area called the Iron Range. Of course, our Missouri reporter Brandon Jones knows that Missouri company well, and he's excited to share some insight with his Missouri Cannabis Report, sponsored by Baker Brands. Hey everybody, it's Brandon Jones with B Green Distribution with the Missouri Cannabis Report for We Talk News. And that's right, the Highway 35 group, also known as the Vesa Group, is quite a group here in Missouri. They do some amazing things. They host some of the best events here in the state. If you've ever been to Smoky River, and seen any of their fun stuff, that's who they are. They put on all those big groups. The hospitality group does amazing stuff, and then they have a grow as well. And yes, I'm sorry to tell you, not just money, 
being thrown at it makes quality flour. This isn't like your normal business. If you just throw money at it, you're going to get a great product. There's a lot more art into the growing cannabis than just money. So we do appreciate all of the uh, the funds that we can bring into this space as much as we can, but money's not going to solve the problem, right? You got to have quality people making quality products. Speaking of that, if you notice behind me, we got Takao, Missouri is official. So we got launch parties next weekend in St. Louis. And then that's going and siding with that same group I'm talking about at Smoky Rivers, putting on the creep show with two chains in Kansas City. So no matter where you're at in Missouri next weekend, either St. Louis or Kansas City, you got an event to go to. Please come check us out. Again, I'm Brandon Jones with B Green Distribution. There's one more thing. Don't forget about taxes. They're trying to stack taxes on Missouri. Be careful your county. That's another thing to look out for. Trying to add more taxes. Hmm, government. Don't take our money. So again, Brandon Jones, B Green Distribution. Missouri Cannabis Report for We Talk News. Stay educated and medicated. Have a great week, everybody. Brandon Jones, Missouri Cannabis Report is brought to you by Baker Brands, a curated B2B marketplace for head shops and dispensaries. In California, the growers are the kings of the market. And this is the time of year that the harvest is happening all over the state. It's called Croptober. Many of the award-winning grow farms are located in Humboldt County. Lavana Vassau has our California Croptober Cannabis Report. I'm Lavana Vassau from the Bay Sash reporting for PCM with this week's California Report for Weed Talk News. It's Croptober in California and the crops are getting chopped from full sun to indoor. The biggest harvest time of the year is here. We are in the third week of Croptober and exciting news keeps coming in from the hill. I heard from Soul Spirit Farms, a multi-generation regenerative sun-grown farm in Humboldt County, and they're very excited about their candy grapefruit cuts from Happy Dreams Genetics. And their other favorite harvest cut is Element Flowers, which is no surprise because they won certified organic sun-grown with it at the Emerald Cup last year. Element is an LMNT pheno from prolific coast seeds hunted by Hendrix. And another interesting thing about Soul Spirit Farms is their luxury glamping bed and breakfast retreat on their farm in Humboldt, where visitors can come camp and eat. I also send out word to multi-generational NorCal OG farmer and OG hash lord Dr. Delta to find out what he he's grown this year. Doctor said, Dr. Delta said his harvest honeys are a few he grew from seed, the Hindu Kush landrace genetic seeds, and the horchata from Little Lake Valley Seed Co. That's all I have time for today. Tune in next week for more Croptober news. I'll have more harvest picks to share with you. And in early November, look out for my full Croptober report in Canapolitan Magazine. That's this week's California Cannabis Report. I'm Lavana Vassa from PCM reporting for We Talk News. There is some serious movement in the state of Pennsylvania to move forward with adult use. In a 44 to 3 vote, the Pennsylvania Senate approved a bill to allow all licensed medical marijuana growers and manufacturers to sell directly to patients. This is another sign that the Keystone State is moving toward adult use for all. On top of that news, We Talk News Pennsylvania correspondent Claudia Post has been named to head up the P3 movement. That's people pot in Pennsylvania. Claudia is flattered by that honor. I'm Claudia Post reporting for We Talk News, and I'm right here in the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, and 
we have some big news. I have been asked to chair P3. It's POT People and Pennsylvania, which is the arm on a statewide basis to bring together folks who want to see adult use and home grow move forward in Pennsylvania. As a matter of fact, we're going to be in Harrisburg. We're speaking politicos. And I will keep you informed as we go along because this is important for Pennsylvania. And I thank you so much for today. That was my news. I will be back next week with news from Pennsylvania, people, pot, and Pennsylvania. The European cannabis market continues to evolve in Denmark. A recent change to their medical program has driven thousands more to get a prescription from their doctor. Yes, in Denmark, doctors can prescribe cannabis as medicine. The growth has been staggering with 90% growth in numbers of patients in one year. Meanwhile, in Canada, growth has now been replaced by stagnation as the novelty of a legal country grows older five years into their programs. Taking a look at the cannabis scene in New York is always changing. There are still more illegal stores selling cannabis than legal ones. And while the state is trying to put pressure on landlords to oust their illegal operations, very few have stopped. In the meantime, more and more dispensaries are starting to open, and that license application window is now open until December 18th. So here's Pam Schmiel with our New York Cannabis Report. I'm Pam Schmiel with the New York Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Just when you thought the New York licensing issues were being solved, it looks like there will be more delays. Local community board approval continues to be the most challenging and time-consuming factor for the delay. Community boards are inundated with cannabis applications and are concerned they won't meet the December 18th deadline to submit these applications to the Office of Cannabis Management for approval. And will there be tax breaks from Governor Hochul for cannabis businesses in New York City? Many are being strangled by the 280E clause in the tax code. The 280E clause is right in the middle of the debate in Washington, D.C. on safe banking. Some states, including Connecticut, have already waived the clause that won't let businesses write off normal operating expenses because of its federal status. And another high-profile figure in the rollout of New York's cannabis industry has quietly left his position. Reuben McDaniels, the head of DASNY, the government-appointed agency responsible for providing real estate and funding for social equity entrepreneurs to have a a fair shot at the industry, has stepped down. McDaniels was unable to meet the goal of funding the program, and his office grappled with finding retail locations for the participants. That's this week's New York Cannabis Report. For Weed Talk News, I'm Pam Schmiel. There are two different stock exchanges in Canada, and many U.S. companies have used them to help raise valuation and funding. Now, a second multi-state operator might move their portfolio from one exchange to another, from 
CSE to TSX going public in Canada has been an effective way to help raise capital for some large companies, but it's not for all. And some are saying to stay out of it. Our stock guru, Doug Miller, has his opinions too on High on Wall Street. I'm Doug Miller from High on Wall Street with this week's Cannabis Stock Report for We Talk News. I want to discuss an article I saw on NewCannabisVentures.com because it is a topic I discussed before. The headline reads, Cannabis Stocks Are Wasting Their Time Listing in Canada. I discuss Cureleaf and them applying to trade on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange. The article does not think it's important for an American company to be listed on a higher exchange in Canada. They do continue to believe that listing on a higher exchange in the U.S. would be a significant move for MSOs. I have to agree with that, and I also believe these companies will not be able to survive without the Safer Banking Act and the rescheduling soon. So let's go ahead and look at Cureleaf stock chart. It's trading around 370 and it has been dipping from the top. So I'm watching for the bottom so I can catch that quick bounce. And that's this week's Cannabis Stock Report reporting for Weed Talk News. I'm Doug Miller. Since our inception here at Pro Cannabis Media, we have suggested that responsible use of this plant medicine can be beneficial for many who struggle with a variety of ailments. Well, now in Vermont, high school health teachers are opening up their conversations about weed while still saying no to underage experimentation. Two years ago, the Department of Health Youth Risk Behavior Survey reported that 16% of Vermont ninth graders have tried cannabis. And by grade 12, that increases to 46%. So on average, it means that half of the high school students in that state have tried cannabis. One person who would be a great guest in any high school in Vermont would be our very own green nurse, Jessie Lynn Dolan. Here's this week's Vermont Cannabis Report sponsored by Canatrol. I'm Jessie Lynn Dolan from Vermont Cannabis Nurses, and this is the Weed Talk News Vermont Report. WCAX recently reported on cannabis consumption amongst school-aged children between 12 to 17 years, noting that more and more dispensaries are opening, with 10 in Chittenden County alone. In WCAX's report, the Vermont Department of Health says that Vermont has the second highest percentage of this age group nationwide cannabis consumption in the past 30 days. On Saturday, October 24th, Rural Vermont and Vermont Growers Association present a post-harvest processing and production workshop with Birdland Farms at Love Spun Homestead in Southern Vermont. For more info, visit vermontgrowers.org. The Cannabis Control Board will be holding its monthly meeting on Wednesday, October 25th. For more information, visit ccb.vermont.gov. Also on the 25th, Green Mountain Patients Alliance is hosting a virtual community gathering to discuss needed change to the medical program. For more information, visit greenmountainpatients.org. That's the Vermont Report for Weed Talk News. I'm Vermont's cannabis nurse, Jessie Lynn Dolan. The Vermont Cannabis Report is supported by another Green Mountain business, Canatrol, winner of High Times Best Dry Cure System. Check them out at Canatrol's dot com.
Back in Michigan, the story about an ugly bribery case landed their lobbyist kingpin four years in jail. This week, his two conspirators have been sentenced to a 20 months to 24 months, also in jail. Our new Michigan reporter, Amy Carter, has more. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Carter from Michigan Weedsters, and this is Michigan Cannabis Report for We Talk News. This week, a federal court judge sentenced two of the lobbyists involved in the bribery scheme. Vincent Brown received a 20-month sentence, while Brian Pierce received 24 months behind bars. Johnson was sentenced last month to 55 months. He'll begin serving that on December 2nd after he's recovered from a recent heart surgery. In other news, up in the thumb area, a man accused of running an unlicensed operation guarded by dogs where 1,100 marijuana plants were being grown avoided felony charges. Under the 2008 recreational law, it is considered a 90-day misdemeanor rather than a violation of the Michigan State Health Code, which carries a possible 15-year prison sentence. Skymint, also known as Green Peak, who has been in receivership, has been sold to a Canadian lender. An Ingham County Circuit Court judge approved the auction asset sale to a Canadian lender, Tropix LP, on October 12th. That is it for this week. I'm Amy Carter from Michigan Weedsters. This is the Michigan Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. In New Jersey, a few more dispensaries are now open. And while Jersey City is suing the state for allowing off-duty law enforcement officers to use cannabis on their own private time, Jill Goldsbury has more from the Garden State. Hello, everyone. I'm Jill Goldsberry here with We Talk News New Jersey, and here's what's happening. There's been so much that's happened since last time we talked, so let's just get into it. For those of you in the border towns closer to the city, you've probably been seeing so much activity. First, the New Jersey Cannabis Insiders Conference, business conference, happened recently, and there's definitely a message and theme going on for applicants looking to open when and where. Uh, you need to know your municipality. That is the key takeaway. Know, know your municipality and what they want, particularly the host committee agreements. You need to know what that is and what they can do for you. Essentially, the city council can, it allows the city council to vote on when and where you can open and can make a big difference in your life. Um, we peeked in on a conversation about this topic at the New Jersey Cannabis Insiders Conference. And this was a conversation between the Jersey City Council President, Joyce E. Waterman, Plainfield Mayor, Aaron O'Map, and moderated by Ronald Modello Esquire. These towns are starting to see, wow, look at the revenue my neighboring town over here is getting. So. As more and more towns opt in, you're going to see more and more real estate that will be available for cannabis businesses. In other news, shoppers in New Jersey, closer to the city, like I was mentioning before, you've got a few more options on where to buy your cannabis products. Number one, a new shop in Queens opened up called Terp Rose which opened up just this week and they've been going at it for a while. So we've got some video to with the founder talking about the opening. Check that out. We wanted to make sure that the community was the first people we reached out to when we were looking for employment. 
Uh, we don't want to see anybody who doesn't love the culture as much as we do come in and work with us. So it was pretty cool and I'm super happy that the community was supportive and the local community board and the elected officials, Senator Jessica Ramos and the Queensborough President Donovan Richards were very supportive of the event. And it's just good to see everybody come around and break the stigmas of uh, the old cannabis mind state. I will be here next week with more We Talk News. If you have something interesting you want to share with me, hit me up at smokestash212 on Instagram. I'm Jill Goldsberry with We Talk News. See you next week. The number one resource for cannabis legalization news is our Illinois correspondent and practicing cannabis attorney, Thomas Howard. Here's his Illinois report for this week. Hey, it's Tom reporting on the Illinois market for Weed Talk News. I got a couple of things. First off, Cresco sent out a press release. They are out of Arizona. They sold their vertical in Arizona to an affiliate of Mint Cannabis for $6.5 million, And they have taken out a very large mortgage on three properties in New York for $25.3 million in Ellenville, New York. Uh, and then there's going to be some more news out of Illinois regarding the craft grow litigation, but we have a hearing on that next Monday, so tune in next week on that. Also, the Illinois legislature is back for a very short veto session before the holiday starts around uh, mid-November, so we may have some updates on Illinois cannabis legislation in the coming episodes, but that's all I got for you right now. Tune in to Cannabis Legalization News on Sunday. In Connecticut, there is a group that is following the lead of the state of New York on a challenge to a part of their new law that gives social equity applicants first crack at the awarding of adult use licenses. They are claiming that federal law of the Controlled Substances Act preempts the Connecticut state law that legalized cannabis in that state in the first place in 2021. And Angie Seafort has more with our Connecticut Cannabis Report. I'm Angie Seifert from Skip Intro Advisors with the Connecticut Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Connecticut collected $3.5 million in excise tax revenue, not sales tax, in second quarter of 23. While that puts Connecticut fifth from the bottom of all states with legal sales, the $3.5 million represents a significant increase from the first quarter of 23 when the state pulled in $1.15 million. Keep in mind, Sales of medical are not taxed. If you have a condition and interested in trying cannabis, you could get your medical card and then not pay taxes when purchasing at the dispensary. The big story of the day is that a coalition of residents in Stanford, Connecticut, who are trying to invalidate local cannabis regulations, are pushing back on an alleged lack of standing arguing that the city and state are abetting criminal enterprises running afoul of federal law. So in August, the coalition and 15 individual plaintiffs sued the city's zoning board and mayor, alleging the state breaks the U.S. and state constitutions. The Stanford Neighbors Coalition argued that cannabis businesses will be engaging in crime on a daily basis bringing a high likelihood of affecting citizens and arguing a case can be made that the majority of both zoning and planning boards are civil rights conspirators. Yet officials say the plaintiffs lack standing to sue, saying their arguments that cannabis businesses will boost criminal activity and hurt their property values are vague unsubstantiated and insufficient to illustrate a harm that is unique to them. 
But the plaintiffs now say that due to the impacts, they are currently facing injury and that cannabis law is so riddled with race. Clearly, they had racial arguments against social equity applications, too. This couldn't be more outrageous. These people are living in denial, thinking that cannabis ruins societies, when really they should rewatch Reefer Madness and see how genuinely obscene their hypocrisy is. I'm Angie Seifert from Skip Intro Advisors with the Connecticut Cannabis Report for Weeds Talk News. There's always drama around the Massachusetts Cannabis Commission. Their chair, Shannon O'Brien, has dropped her, quote, wrongful suspension lawsuit against Deborah Goldberg, the state treasurer. And on top of that, lawmakers are starting to take an interest in the operations of the CCC. PCM founder Jimmy Young has more on his Bay State Cannabis Report sponsored by CNA Stores. Thanks, Elena. I'm PCM founder Jimmy Young, and this is the Bay State Cannabis Report, sponsored by CNA Stores. The cannabis regulators of Massachusetts seem to be in the news for all the wrong reasons lately. First, the chairman of the CCC, Shannon O'Brien, called the environment for her own commission to be in crisis. Then, State Treasurer Deborah Goldberg suspended O'Brien, and then O'Brien filed a lawsuit that was later dropped. Now, The state legislature is looking at the Cannabis Control Commission and may start to audit it. That will be an interesting thing to check out. Now, the Cannabis Control Commission continues to meet and talk about the best ways to manage the social clubs that are part of the legalization law from 2018. No one is more on top of these stories than Chris Ferrone from the Talking Joints Memo. This is... Is scandal the right word? I wouldn't say scandal. I don't think anyone's in Miami Beach, but it is really just, I guess it's kind of unfortunate. And before I shut up, I just want to say one thing. I got to give them a little credit because through all of this, really the Cannabis Control Commission, the commission, they did get a lot done. I mean, they rewrote um, the host host community agreement stuff. So uh, all these stipulations really going to stop a lot of abuse by municipalities that are saying, you know, you want to set up a dispensary here, give us this, donate to my cousin's nonprofit. That can't happen anymore. And finally tonight, good luck to a new dispensary that is opened in Boston on Washington Street. It's called Low Key, and it held their soft opening as a low key for family and friends two weeks ago. Method Man's brand, Tical, had a pop-up there, and the lines were out the door. Boston continues to open up new dispensaries almost every week now. Some might even be located closer than that half-mile buffer that they're supposed to adhere to. But the bottom line is, you can now get legal weed in Boston, no matter where you are in the city. That's the Bay State Cannabis Report. I'm Jimmy Young reporting for Weed Talk News. The Bay State Cannabis Report is sponsored by CNA Stores in Haverhill and Amesbury, now named as one of the top three dispensaries on the New England coast by USA Today and the only one from Massachusetts. Why? One reason is their Canna Bar in Amesbury and Haverhill. Its selection is second to none. Parking is easy and this veteran-owned, family-operated retail store is now growing their own flower in a state-of-the-art facility. That's why CNA Stores is a destination dispensary. And finally, if you are planning a trip south this winter, you might want to check out St. Vincent and Grenadines Islands in the Windward Islands in the Caribbean. 
On October 20th, that island's first social consumption lounge will be opening up in their capital city of Kingstown called the Therapy Restaurant next to the Greenhouse Cafe and Lounge. If you have a medical card, you can buy and enjoy your favorite strain, have an infused beverage, and just chill out in St. Vincent. And with winter as the next season to deal with, it could be nice to escape to the Caribbean. Just got a little bit more enticing, didn't it? Well, that's Weed Talk news for this week. I'm Elena Pinto. And remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. And yes, I'm pitching to you. That's Steve Levine, the inventor and principal behind the One Hit Wonder. And this little efficient device is getting rave reviews. And there's more uses than just a One Hit Wonder. The One Hit Wonder, you get a 50 milligram hit. So if you used a one-hitter or dugout before, you know the challenges. Steve's One Hit Wonder is easy to clean, use, and enjoy. Standard one-hitters do not work. We're afraid to inhale. The One Hit Wonder has a built-in ash catcher. So inhale like it's your last breath. Suck the ash right through. Get it at OneHitWonder.com.